Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, these are very familiar words. I think even if you're not a Christian, you have probably heard these words. When Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Very successful American businesswoman was traveling in Costa Rica, walking on a pristine beach there one day, and she stumbled over a brass lamp. Kind of made her angry, so she kicked that lamp as hard as she could. And then she was real angry. You know how that goes when you hurt yourself. Of course, a genie popped out of the lamp. You know where this story's going. The genie wasn't happy either because he had just been kicked, you know. So he said, well, I am obligated to give you three wishes, but given that I'm kind of angry with you, I'm going to give double whatever you ask for, double, to the person you hate most, your ex. She thought it over and thought, well, that's fair enough. So first she asked for $10 million. Her phone lit up, notification, deposit made for $10 million into her bank account. Somewhere off in the ether, $20 million went into her ex-husband's bank account. Second wish, she said, I've always wanted a high-end sports car. So not there on the beach, but back in her driveway at home, poof, a Lamborghini appeared. In her ex-husband's driveway, a Lamborghini, poof, and a Ferrari appeared. The genie said, I want you to think long and hard about the third wish. This is your final wish. Remember, he's going to get double. And she said, well, I've always wanted to donate a kidney. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. We all deal with anger. We all deal with bitterness from time to time. There are a lot of angry people in the world around us. I was looking at an article, several articles this week about how levels of anger are higher than they have ever been according to research and the pandemic didn't help anything. The rise of social media has not helped anything. I got a text from a family member today who was a little bit angry, not angry at me, angry at a situation. She's traveling from southern Missouri up to northern Minnesota to be part of a Christian camp this week. She's traveling by herself, by Greyhound bus. Friday night, she went to the bus station, or Friday night or early Saturday morning, it was midnight, Uh, She goes to the bus station in Joplin to catch her bus, Joplin, Missouri, and the bus was four hours late. So she sat outside the little Greyhound place there on the bench. The bus showed up. Uh, By the way, I need to tell you, if everything worked perfectly in this trip, this is to be a 32-hour bus trip. So things aren't working perfectly. Four hours late, we're up to 36 hours. Then I got a text from Milwaukee, Wisconsin this morning that there is another four-hour <laughs> delay. And I was just thinking, I couldn't do it. I would have tapped out in Joplin and said, you know what, deal's off, I'm going back home, not going to the camp. But she is angry. It is the frustrations of life. You've been there, whether it's in a Greyhound station, an airport, or just a frustration with a family member. If ever we needed peacemakers, it's, it, it's now. UC Irvine professor Raymond Navaco, I love this. He says that we are living this phrase. He says we are living in a, quote, big anger incubator. 
It seems like we're trying to make people angry with social media, with politics, with 24-hour news channels. And like I said, this social media aspect only makes matters worse. Nine out of ten Americans say that it has made it more frequent that people insult each other, express rage, and get upset um, because you can do that behind the safety, relative safety of your social media account. You can toss insults at people. So yeah, rage incubator. There was a story out of Cape Cod during the pandemic of restaurant owner who was dealing with shortages in staff, supply chain issues, so having trouble getting food stocks there, and lots of issues with unruly customers at her restaurant. One time she says this family was waiting for a while for their table and they ended up just saying, you know what, we've been here so long, just box it up. We're going home. And so when their food was ready, they took the food and theatrically dumped it in the garbage in front of the restaurant owner. She said her, her staff, they were so tired, they were so exhausted by these kinds of displays that she just gave them 24 hours off to enjoy a day of kindness. And I know we have multiple flight attendants here at Preston Crest, people who work in the airline industry, and what a season it has been. I mean, we've all heard or seen videos, heard stories or seen videos from airplanes or lounges in airports where people are mad. And our poor flight attendants have taken physical abuse and verbal abuse. It has not been fun. You may have seen videos of unruly passengers who were a threat to others getting duct taped to their seats on airplanes. We live in an anger incubator, an age of rage to be sure. But then again, is this new? Not really. Nothing new under the sun. Winsome conviction authors, Tim Muehlhoff, Richard Langer, go back to the New Testament and say, interesting how quarreling, how angry, angry fights pop up all throughout. They say the existential, existential threat of quarreling leaps from the text of almost every New Testament epistle. Whether the letter is long or short, 1 Corinthians or tiny little Philemon, quarreling is addressed. Whether the church is doing well or poorly, Philippians or Galatians, quarreling is addressed. Whether the tenor of the epistle is doctrinal like Romans or personal like 2 Timothy, quarreling is addressed. So apparently, this is not a new thing. Maybe the, there's an escalation now. But people have always dealt with the bitterness and rage and quarreling and fighting. And so we imagine as we come into this world of Matthew chapter 5... That Jesus is addressing truly an age-old problem and this beautiful calling for the people of God to be a people of peace. Makers of peace. And they will be called sons of God. The Bible has a lot to say to angry people. A couple of places in the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 18. The hot-tempered person. What do they do? They start fights. The cool-tempered person stops them. The next chapter, verse 28, a perverse person stirs up 
conflict. And so we have seen in Matthew 5 verse 9 that we are, as disciples of Jesus, peacemakers. We are called to bring peace into the world. Some specifics here before we, or some generalities before we get into the specifics. When Jesus talks about peacemaking, he's not just talking about the absence of conflict. It's more than that. For centuries, God's people had this idea of shalom. We translate it as peace, but it is, it is human flourishing. It is wholeness. It is healthy community. And so that's what Jesus is calling us to be about that the church will be a place where human beings flourish, where community is, is healthy and, and people grow together. And at the same time, we know that we deal with anger. Parents know that they're going to have to deal with anger in their children, probably anger in themselves with respect to their children. Husbands and wives know that if you've been married more than a couple of weeks, you're going to get angry at your spouse. They're going to get angry with you. Um, and so even those people that we profess our undying love toward, the ones we are closest to and most committed to, our children, our spouses, we're going to deal with anger even in those places. And it can be anger and conflict. It can be destructive and toxic doesn't have to be. It can translate into growth and understanding. It can be part of a movement toward shalom if it's handled well. And so we're going to talk about first some unhealthy ways that anger is managed or mismanaged rather. And I'm going to talk about jackrabbits, turtles, and skunks. This may sound a little bit campy, but I, for me it's easy to remember. Three different styles of conflict. What do jackrabbits do when they sense danger? They gone. They run away. On the fight or flight spectrum, they are way over here at the first sign of conflict. They are out of there. They disappear. They sprint. Um, and it may look like this, like if you are a jackrabbit and you've got a neighbor that's a little troublesome, Instead of talking to them, instead of trying to deal with it, you may put your house on the market and just decide you're going to move somewhere else. If you're at work and you have trouble getting along with the boss or the coworkers, you may just quit and look for another job. If you're in a marriage that's tricky, you may just raise the white flag and quit on your marriage. Jackrabbits run away. And that is a non-shalom way to deal with anger. Uh, it's not healthy at all. And for some of us, that's the first instinct to turn and run. That's not peacemaking. It makes conversation impossible when you run away. It makes finding solutions to real problems that generate conflict impossible to find short circuits the process of coming to resolution. In Genesis 16, a lot of examples in Scripture of this, but in Genesis 16 there is conflict between Sarah and Hagar. Sarah is the boss. Hagar is her servant. And we are told in verse 6 that Sarah is treating Hagar harshly. Hagar is a jackrabbit. She takes off. This is before she gives birth to Ishmael. That part of the story hasn't happened yet. She takes off. She is in the wilderness and God comes to her and he says, you need to go back. I know it's hard, but you will be blessed. Future generations will be blessed 
if you go back. And she did. There are jackrabbits who run, and then there are turtles who hide. A husband came to me and confessed that was his style this morning, and maybe some other husbands can identify with that. Hurt what do turtles do? When there's trouble, they retreat into their shell. They hide out. They get quiet. They are the great pretenders. Problem? What problem? Conflict? There's no conflict. We're all getting along just great. Is that you? When things get tense, do you retreat into your shell? Do you get quiet or emotionally detached? Um, Do you think that if you stall for long enough, if you just close your eyes long enough, the problem will go away? That's not peacemaking. That's not bringing shalom into the world. Turtles are not peacemakers. They are peace mongers, peace mongers. Uh, They will do anything, absolutely anything to ignore, to suppress, or to minimize conflict. But as we talked about earlier, the absence of conflict is not necessarily peace. There may be issues piling up that need to be talked about that need to be worked through, that potentially need to be resolved, and they can't be if someone is going into their shell. What happens with the turtle is aggravation increases, problems get worse, long-term bitterness is a real possibility. Um, I've got a friend who has this theory. He's getting older now, and his theory on going to the doctor is just don't. He's got insurance, probably needs to go get checked out, definitely needs to go get checked out, you know, at least once a year. Won't do it because this friend is convinced, if I go to the doctor, they're going to find something seriously wrong with me. Huh. Is that a healthy approach, right? I'm Me and some of my friends try to encourage him to go. Like, no, you go to the doctor so that they can find something before it becomes a serious health problem. Otherwise, you're running terrible risk. This philosophy is not a healthy philosophy. The same thing goes in our relationships. If I am committed to simply pretending that everything is good, then there are things that will go ignored, neglected, And they can get a lot worse if they're not talked about and tackled. Then there are the skunks. (laughs) The skunks. This style of conflict is when danger is sensed, when things heat up, they fire a stink bomb into the situation. Think pouring gas on the fire. When the situation gets tense, they are the ones who escalate. They get louder. They get more aggressive. They may hurl insults. They may use abusive language. They are the ones who may go back in history and pull things out of the file from previous fights and disagreements years ago. They may even get physical. When skunks get involved in a conflict, things are going to get stinky and ugly really quick. And the Bible has a word for these folks in Proverbs 29. Fools. Spray. (laughs) Fools vent their anger. But the wise quietly hold it back. The wise are in control. Read that with me if you would. Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. Somehow, and this is probably another sermon, but somehow we've gotten the idea that you need to vent. 
Um, yeah, I don't know about that, considering what the Bible says. Um, maybe there are good ways. Maybe you need to go hit a heavy bag or go for a run or something. But venting your anger on other people is not what the Bible recommends, no. So, chances are you know some of these folks. You know some jackrabbits. You know some turtles. You know some skunks. You may have married one. You may be one. Um, but one more thing I'll put in before we move on here is that we live in an interesting moment. It has never been so easy to, know, to let the world know exactly what you think, right? About politics, about vaccines or masks, about waiting at the bus station, about whatever. It has never been so easy to put your opinions out there for general consumption, right? But it's not healthy to put our opinions about every little thing out there. The Bible says don't do that. The Bible says don't vent all of that. The wise individual knows how and when to hold back. And I appreciate this quote from theologian Kevin DeYoung that talks about this age where there just aren't very many unarticulated opinions. Where if we think it, we put it out there. And he says, that's not a really productive thing. And I love this quote. He says, do people know what you think? Of everything? Yeah, they shouldn't. That's why you have a journal or a prayer closet or a dog, okay? <laughs> you don't need to blog about it or tweet about it all the time. And in fact, I would just say this. I am confident I have some opinions that you all would not agree with and would probably make you angry about church, about religion, about the Bible, about politics, about you name it. But as a bringer of shalom into the world, or at least I try to be, I've got opinions that just need to stay unarticulated, and so do you. What an honor, though, to be seen as a chip off the old block. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Son, people are going to see the character of the Father in you as a child. There goes one of God's kids and Paul talks about this when he writes to a church in conflict. The Ephesian church, it was Gentile against Jew. They were all Christ-loving believers in that church, but very different religious backgrounds. And he writes to them in Ephesians 2.14, For he, Jesus himself, is our shalom. He is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus is our peace. He sacrificed himself. He surrendered his body to be spat upon, crown of thorns, nails in hands and feet, so that he could break down these walls of anger, walls of hostility between us and God and between me and you. So living in an anger incubator, what do we do? And I'm not talking about big level, uh, let's all take courses on conflict mediation. Some of us may need to do that. There are some gifted uh, people that are called to do that and get trained to do that. But what are the little day-to-day -day things 
that I can do, that you can do, to be a peacemaker in my world. Let's talk about that. Four simple decisions. One of them is simply overlook minor offenses. I think 90% of situations will not escalate if people would just follow this simple rule, overlook minor offenses. Not everything needs to be a capital offense, right? A few years back, Isla will remember this, a few years back, March 6th, our anniversary came and went, and I didn't remember. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father God. Neither did she. Hallelujah. We made it. Like two weeks later, it's like, wait a second, our anniversary was two weeks ago. But sometimes you remember and she forgets. Or she remembers and you forget. And that's when you need a little bit of grace. You need a little bit of no big deal. Move on. Proverbs says in Proverbs 19.11, good sense. We need more of that in the world. Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is to his glory to do what? To overlook an offense. To just move on. Right? Um, So when you feel slighted, when you feel wronged, it helps to give others the benefit of the doubt. I will say this. My wife is really good about this. Imagining when she gets cut off in traffic or treated rudely in some place, she imagines that that person is having a really bad day or that there is some stuff going on in their life that is not easy to deal with. And I think that's given people the benefit of the doubt given them a little bit of grace. One reason that we need peacemakers is that we struggle with sin. Amen? And everybody you will ever have a relationship with or encounter with on an airplane, in a restaurant, at your office, in your neighborhood, in your own home, everyone you will have a relationship with is also someone who struggles with sin. It does not work. Because of that, it does not work to be super demanding perfectionistic. You might find yourself suffering from HTDS. Never heard of it? I made it up this week, so probably not. (laughs) High trigger or hair trigger disappointment syndrome. If every little thing sets you off, makes you angry, gets you going. That's a problem, and that's why we constantly turn to Jesus. We constantly turn to the cross. We constantly turn to the mercies that we have received, which gets us to the second thing we need to talk about, about flourishing, about shalom. It is to let mercy lead. Hair trigger leads these days in our anger incubator culture. We need to let mercy lead. And sometimes the offense is not a little thing that you can just overlook. Sometimes it's more serious. We as disciples of Jesus, we have been on the receiving end of God's grace. We have been washed in mercy. That's what baptism is. We have been on the receiving end of heaven's outpouring of forgiveness. We deserve judgment. We deserve to be condemned. God has every right to condemn us. And yet, he smiles on us. He graces us. 
And by the way, this is your primary relationship. This is why this matters. This is why this affects everything else. Your primary relationship is with God. He knew you before you were born. He will know you after you go to the grave. He is the one who gave you life. He is the one who sustains your life. He is the one who takes care of you when you eat lunch today. He is the one who is providing that and all of the other things you enjoy to you. That is your primary relationship and it is mercy saturated. And so the invitation is to let mercy lead is to work from a posture of peace. To be so full of God's love and forgiveness that you can't help but offer it to people around you. And then you are a bringer of shalom into the world. Paul wrote to the Colossian church about this, about the way that this primary relationship, how God treats me, how that is to affect how I treat you. He says in Colossians 3.13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, primary relationship, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. This is where I just need to stop and say, is that easy? Is it an easy thing to forgive other people? Not really. And so what I do is go to that bigger question, that primary question. Was it easy for God to forgive you? Think crown of thorns, wooden cross, nails. It was not easy for God to forgive you but he chose to forgive you. And he's calling you to be a person of peace as he is. By the way, same chapter, a couple of verses earlier, Jesus said, blessed, or he said, uh, blessed are the merciful, for they're going to receive mercy. And now he says, blessed are the peacemakers. They're going to be called children of God. So we show mercy to others and we seek God's shalom with them and in the communities in which we find ourselves a part of because that's how he treats us through Jesus. It's his DNA. And I don't know if you've ever done one of those DNA tests. I get a notification, you know, once a week. Hey, this person's related to you and it gives me like a percentage, right? There, there's, you have this, this much DNA in common. Got one of those this week. If you're his child, you're gonna, this DNA is going to show up. You'll be a daughter or a son of God, a peacemaker just like your father. The third decision is to own up to your part in the conflict. I can think of few things, and I bet you can attest to this, that disarm an angry situation more than somebody saying, you know what, I screwed up. My bad. You're not excusing them, but you're saying, yeah, I contributed to this. I said this, I did this, it didn't make the situation any better. I'm sorry about that. And all of a sudden, the gas is let out of the, the tank on that. The temperature is lowered. A confession of fault really changes things. And just owning up to the fact that you've contributed to the conflict. And Jesus taught his disciples, didn't he? <laughs> it's a great image. 
Jesus was such a creative teacher. What an image. He, he taught his disciples, hey, before you get in there trying to remove the speck out of your neighbor's eye, I, I, think, I think there's something wrong there. You might want to take the log out of your own eye. It's all about acknowledging you're a sinner, you struggle, you've contributed to making things worse at times. Just own that. Now finally, as far as it depends on you, number four, seek reconciliation. As far as it depends on you, seek reconciliation. We've been given a ministry, 2 Corinthians 5, a ministry of reconciliation. Um, that is our ministry in Jesus. It's not one that some disciples have, others don't. It's one that we all have because we have all been reconciled to God through Jesus. So we all have this ministry. 2 Corinthians 5, 18, 19, um, all of these, these blessings, they, all of it comes from God who settled the relationship, the primary relationship, who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. So being interested in this ministry, being invested in this ministry of reconciliation, it means choosing a path other than the path of the jackrabbit or turtle or skunk. It means choosing to be a peacemaker. And yeah, it takes energy. You're going to need to pray about this. It's going to take time. Sometimes a cup of coffee, you can settle something. Sometimes it's going to be two, three months of working through stuff. Sometimes it'll involve pulling in a mutual friend who you both trust. Kind of, hey, can you, can you help us? We're not able to work this out. Or, or even a counselor or professional. Married couples do this all the time. But it's a commitment to being a reconciler. And let me finish with this. You know, not everything always gets worked out. Let's not be naive as someone once said, some problems have to be managed rather than solved. And there are some of those situations. Some problems have to be managed rather than solved. We get that. But we're going to work for reconciliation. One of the reasons that we gather each Sunday as a church is to worship God because he solved our sin problem Worship God because he calls us his children. Worship God because he has purchased eternal life for us. Worship God because he's given us a ministry here in this world to make a difference. Jesus created peace through us, for us, through his blood. And he called us to create peace, shalom, in the world around us. And so we have unique resources as the people of God to bring wholeness and flourishing into the communities that we are a part of. Let's do that. Let's commit to doing that.